0: Welcome to Advent 2021. We're not very liturgical, so, uh, you know, it's Christmas 2021 around here these days. But it is the time of year where we look forward with great anticipation to celebrate the coming of the King. So, what's our plan on Sunday mornings? What are we going to do in this month of preparation? Well, if you know me, I like to start. I like to finish what I've started. And um, what have we left undone in the pulpit? Matthew! So maybe we should do Matthew, which is all the Passion Week, that's all we have left. We're like right to the very end. So, you know, we don't usually associate that with Christmas time, so perhaps, although we did do Christmas at Passion Time, so maybe it's fair play. But but I don't want to deal with that in this season I want to dig someplace else into the scriptures. So after the holidays, what we have left in Matthew is just like a chapter and a half, so it won't stretch as I can't make it stretch. Well, I maybe I could stretch it clear till Easter, but I'm not gonna do that. So there is a question that's, that some people have asked me, and and it is this: Is this the end of the world? I mean, what is going on in our world? It's crazy. The headlines seem to scream, "The consummation of all things is at hand." Is the return of Jesus right around the corner? Well, maybe, or maybe not. I don't know. I've been asked that question enough, so I thought after the first of the year, let's just deal with it straight up. What does Jesus say about all of this? I've, I've I do want to set it up with, I you might be disappointed with what I say. It's like this. When I grew up, you know, they were setting dates, they were doing all kinds of things and speculating, but and, and it really wasn't helpful and I don't think it's still very helpful. For example, if you you've probably, most of you, I don't know, I don't know, how many people have been to Israel before? And if you've been to Israel before, oftentimes a standard tour is from grotto to grotto to grotto, or put it another way, from church to church to church, and they will tell you this happened here, this happened here, this happened here. If that's the kind of experience you've had, you did not go with me, because that's not what we do, because I cannot tell you where the Sermon on the Mount actually took place. He was standing there, and the disciples were, can't happen. I can't tell you where the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the 4,000 took place. I cannot even tell you where Jesus was born or even where he died. There's some discussion about it. Yes, there's churches, big, beautiful churches, but eh, you don't really know. So when I go to Israel, I want you to learn the geography. Why is it important that it happened around here? Why is Bethlehem, why is that significant geographically? Why is the Sermon on the Mount? All that kind of stuff, and we do that. But when you go to Israel, you wanna walk where Jesus actually walked. You wanna be able to sing that song at the end of the day. But you cannot do that very often. People walk the Via Dolorosa all the time guess what? They're not walking the Via Dolorosa. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. If you want to walk on the streets that Jesus walked on, I can take you to a place and there's a hole and we can look down. 20 feet of life has happened since in 2,000 years, and they've built up and up and up and up. The actual street level's way down there. You're not walking where he walked. Sorry. But there are, from time to time, a place where we can say, this is where he was. One of those places is the temple steps where he thrashed the religious leaders. Remember, woe to you, woe to in, in Matthew 23. Now, the steps are not on every tourist attraction. They're not on every program because it, there's an extra entrance fee. And it takes a little bit of a walk to get there. And you can just drive by it on the bus and say, oh, there it is. But truth be told, Jesus went up and down those steps. Every time he went to the temple, it's the only entrance. You've got to go up. He's not a priest. So he goes up and down those steps. He was there. And so my point is this. What we do are going to do in January and February is not speculate, well, maybe this, maybe that. I want us to do a series where we listen to Jesus as to what he says to us today about his return and about life more than his return. We might not like what he says but we do need to listen to him and so that's what i want to do after the first of the year so after that's done then we will dive into and i promise you lord willing we'll finish matthew with a ton of review and set it all up and it will be miraculous it'll be just like an easter miracle because we're actually going to hit the resurrection account in matthew you know on easter sunday wow i wonder how that's going to work but I think I can make that happen. So what do we do now? Well, our theme for this year for Christmas is the king is here. And so I thought, you know, what passage screams the king of, is here more loudly than you guessed it, Matthew chapter 1. That's kind of how my brain works. So I thought, you know, maybe we should go back into Matthew and we'll take Matthew 1 and 2 and explore it this Christmas season because it's just perfect. We've been together now. This is our 28th Christmas season together. How many sermons do I have to creatively come up with to preach the same message? He came, folks. Not that we ever plumb to the bottom of the depths, I understand. But I thought it would be a good exercise for us to refresh our understanding of this most significant of Gospels. And so it's a perfect text to to go through this Christmas season. So if you have your Bibles, open them to Matthew chapter 1. We are going to cover an entire verse this morning. One verse, that's it. And it says this, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. But we cannot get ahead of ourselves. We've got to begin by reminding ourselves who this Matthew guy is. Now, you probably know this, but a few people have come since we started three years ago in the book of Matthew. So who is this author Matthew? We don't know a lot about him. It's Levi is his other name. And we do know that the Gospel of Matthew is the only one of the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, who were written by an actual disciple. Mark and Luke were not among the twelve. Matthew was. According to Matthew 9, he was a tax collector. Chapter 9, verse 9, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew, the author of our Gospel, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Whoa. He's in the list of disciples in Matthew 10 as Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector. So who is a tax collector? When we introduced Matthew originally, we compared him to a certain character that we meet about 20 minutes into the first original Star Wars movie. It's actually number three, is it not? But it's really number one. So you figure all of that out. The first one that came out, I was in I was young, and uh, I think I was in college. Um, but the first movie, you're trying to figure out this whole new world, right? There's this empire, and there's this rebellion now. A rebellion can be good or a rebellion can be bad. It depends on your point of view. And so how are we going to decide if all of this is good, who's the good side, who's the bad side? About 20 minutes in, we meet this guy in a bar, a shady bar, a creepy creatures, and it's just like weird. And we meet this guy, and his name is Han Solo. He is surrounded by these dregs of society, and we're not sure what to make of him. He's clearly not a good guy, but he's not exactly a bad guy either. He's just mysterious. What we do learn about Han Solo is that he cares about what? Himself. That's it. He's a smuggler, and he's not going to do anybody any favors just because they are on one side, whether they're in the rebellion or the empire. It doesn't matter. He's not doing anybody a favor. He's, he's a rogue character. And we hope and we kind of get a glimpse that maybe underneath there's a heart of gold, but we aren't so sure. And Han Solo is probably the most critical character in the the arc of the story. First, he makes it fun, and he breaks the rules and he cheats people, and you get to see his transformation, however, from someone who cares about himself to someone who begins to care about other people. And eventually, he's actually going to care about the cause, the rebellion. And so we follow his journey from not caring about anybody but himself to actually caring about something. And that's what makes the story as good as it can be great. Why? Because Han Solo is the barometer of the validity of the cause. You want to know if you can believe in this rebellion, you follow Han Solo. Because at the beginning, we don't know who to trust. Now you look at it, you know who to trust. But you see these kinds of journeys in the pages of the Scripture as well. People who are transformed. There's the transformation of Paul on the road to Damascus. A dramatic transformation. Transformation. But Paul's transformation is very different from Matthew's because Paul transforms from what? He's a zealot. He's, you know, kill Christians to don't kill Christians, which is helpful if you're a Christian. (laughs) All right? But, But the change is really just from this side that I really care about to this side. Now I really care about this one. And Matthew's transformation is very different. We don't get a lot of information about it but they're very different from from Matthew and Paul. Matthew's not the Apostle Paul, he has a different journey. Paul, like Matthew, he does switch teams, but Paul is clearly passionate about one team and then passionate about the other. Matthew is a Han Solo transformation. Matthew's a Jew, completely and thoroughly Jewish. He starts on team I don't care and eventually he turns to the team that says I do care because he's a very pragmatic, practical guy. He turns into someone, however, who is very principled, who is willing to sacrifice himself for the sake of a bigger cause. And as you think about Matthew's journey, as he grows up, he looks around and, and he's trying to decide what to do for a career. And he looks around and he says, yeah, what should I do? i got a couple of choices. I can join the, the losing team, Team Israel. We're under the, the domination of Rome. And so I can join Team Israel and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be okay, but I'll be very poor. Or I can join Team Rome. And you know what? There are financial opportunities for those who join Team Rome. And so you can go with the losers and be poor but principled, or you can join the winning team and be a cog in the machine of the Roman occupation. To do that, he's going to have to exploit his own people, and no one will be able to do anything about it. So he says to his, himself, I need a job. I've got to raise, you know, I've got to make a good, decent living. So let's flip this desperate situation around under the the domination of Rome and let's make it work for my good. And so here's a man who with his eyes wide open joins the evil empire, Rome. He goes with the winners so that he can make money. He's a tax collector. Do you like tax collectors? No, you don't look forward to April 15th. Oh goody, I can write my check, sweet. We, though, hold the IRS in much higher esteem than they would have held it back in the first century. If you know how you feel in April, then you know how these people felt about Matthew. But the difference is, today, if the IRS makes a mistake, you can take them to court. If Matthew makes a mistake, tough. You just pay whatever he tells you to pay. How do tax collectors make a living? Rome says, collect this much, and however much you can get over that, that's your money. You can keep that. So how do you think that worked out? They they just spoke, and the people had to pay. They didn't get a salary, these tax collectors. They just increased the tax. There's no accountability. There's no supervisor. Get as much as you can, as long as you can get away with it. So in Matthew we follow this first century Han Solo, rogue, corrupt, self-interested, siding with, with the empire to cheat his own people and to make as much money as he could. And there was nothing that could stop him. Now, what does that look like in the modern world? Let's bring it to today. How do you think you would feel in that situation? Think of those dangerous Canadians you know, the media has just not really described the vast conspiracy that is up north. And we're going to imagine that they invade the United States and take everything over. They come down on their moose, and they have their little red uniforms, and those dreaded Canadian Mounties, they're everywhere. And then they decide that, you know, we should tax these Americans because we've got to pay for this invasion. And so they come down, and there's nothing we can do about it. And they govern us, except a few of us are smart enough that we decide we're going to side with the Canadians. We're going to work with them. And some guy comes to your door, and he says, you owe me $12,000. And you say, what? I don't owe you $12,000. And he says, no, nah, you do. Pay up. Don't worry about the details. Just pay. And he's brought these thugs with him, and if you don't pay, you're going to get beat up. And notice the picture. You are forced to pay by somebody you went to school with. Somebody who lives down the street, or maybe you work with them. Or maybe they're a buddy at the gym, or maybe it's somebody at church. Now, now how do you feel about that? You're not going to like those people you're gonna like them less than the dreaded Canadians who are now your overlords because these people are traitors who are making you pay. See, that's Matthew. He's a tax collector. He is the author of the story that we study and learn about Jesus. And then add this layer to it, Matthew's also selling out a couple of thousand years of Jewish history. And faith in God. He's selling out not just his neighbors, but his faith. Because whatever I can say about him, it's worse than that. But like Han Solo, he's going to change. And I'm going to see that in the gospel. But here's my point. He doesn't just go from Team Rome to Team Jesus. It's greater than that. He doesn't just go from, well, I'm going to help the Romans to, oh, I'm not going to help the Romans. He goes from, I don't really care about anything. To now, I care about something that is much greater than myself. I'm not just going to be a pragmatic, get as much money out of life as I can. To a place where I am going to be willing to sacrifice myself and my income for a savior. Jesus had made it very clear, you can read it in the pages of Matthew, that you're probably going to be a little bit homeless if you follow me. You won't have much stuff. In fact, maybe you should sell it now and be done with it. Matthew records those words in his own gospel. Don't get tripped up by your stuff. And he makes this journey from from an unprincipled mercenary of the Roman state to a principled follower of Jesus Christ who... History will tell us loses his head because he was faithful to Christ in the end. The story of Paul is powerful, but he's just switching causes. Matthew's very different. Now something is moving him in this force of transformation, and it's something that's bigger than himself. He goes from I don't care about all my Jewish friends and all my Jewish stuff to writing what? The most Jewish gospel that we have. He cares. And to someone so theologically dialed into the Savior, that he can write what has transformed our understanding of Jesus and of life. See, Matthew becomes the link between all of what went on in the Old Testament to now the bridge to the New Testament. He is the barometer of the validity of the cause He believed it and it transformed him. And that's why we should, and that's why we have explored this book so carefully. That's Matthew. Number two, the book of Matthew is a gospel. We did this a lot. To say that it's a gospel simply means it's good news. It was written for this purpose to give us an account of what Jesus did and what he said, what he accomplished. And how all of that should change the world and should change our lives. This good news, it changed Ahan Solo. How? Well, that's the journey through the book of Matthew. That's what we, we have explored. But remember, this isn't a letter to a congregation. This isn't Ephesians or Philippians or, or Colossians where, you know, it's dear so-and-so, so-and-so. That's, this is not a letter to a congregation. It's not a comprehensive biography. This, Matthew didn't set down to, I'm going to tell you everything that you need to know about the life of Jesus. That's not what this is. There are a lot of details that aren't there. And he's abbreviated some stories, and he's got some stories the other gospels don't. But it's, it's much deeper than a, than a comprehensive biography. Third, this isn't even a chronological history. If you are looking for a chronological history of the, of the life of Christ, you don't turn to Matthew Matthew doesn't set out to say, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Example, how many journeys to Jerusalem are there in the Gospel of Matthew? There's one. Now, in in real life, he went there at at Passover at least a couple of times. But But the way Matthew has structured his stories is that by the time Jesus finally arrives in Jerusalem, it is the climax of the story. He goes once at the week of Passion. There are 28 chapters in Matthew, and Matthew has organized it. You know how it's organized, or if you remember two years, three years ago. It's organized around what? Five teaching uh, sermons, basically, teaching sections. There's teaching, stories, teaching, stories, five times teaching. You got the the picture. What's the first teaching section? Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it's it's the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, then there's stories. Then we have Matthew uh, 10, is the missional discourse, They're sending the disciples out, what's that going to look like, and then you have stories of that. The third teaching section is Matthew 13, the parables, and then there's stories, and then there's Matthew 18, which is the church kind of discourse, what's this going to look like after I'm done, I didn't leave myself enough space, and then there's more stories, and then there's Matthew 24 and 25, the Olivet Discourse. After the Olivet Discourse, well, you're, now you're into, I mean, that's in the, the middle of Passion Week, so you're into the death. So there's these five teaching blocks with stories in between, and each one is mapped out by Matthew so that you can see, for example, Matthew 11, 1, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there. Every time at the end of one of those teaching blocks, that's, that's kind of the similar phrase occurs. He's very organized, and none of this is by accident. And he's going back and forth between teaching and stories and teaching and stories. He's not organizing the life of Christ chronologically. It's a gospel, a carefully arranged account of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done. Number three. Now, I believe your sermon notes have four points, correct? This sermon had four points, too, on Wednesday. On Saturday, it only has three. So you can just forget point number three. And all God's people said, amen. amen. No, not that with that much gusto. So number three, which is your number four, the book of Matthew is about the king. So let's get into Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Actually, those first two words of the book, the genealogy... Uh, the record of the genealogy. It's like a little difficult, actually, to translate. It can be translated the record of the genealogy, it can be translated the record of the origins, or it can be translated the record of the history, which kind of you have a, all three going on. Matthew 1 opens with this genealogy, an actual list of names, the record of the genealogy. From Matthew 8, 1, 18 through the end of chapter 2, you've got the record of the origins, where he came from, and then the rest of the gospel, you have the record of the history. So we're not going to be too precise about that. But what we learn here is the subject of the book. We learn something that, that Matthew's actually been transformed from this very point in the book. He is on a journey of discovery, and we get his conclusion, the thesis statement, right up front. His thesis is clear. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. Three things, Jesus is the savior. This is his name, Jesus, that's what it means. The book of the genealogy of Jesus. It's the Greek form of of the Old Testament name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves, the Lord is our salvation. You go down to verse 21 of chapter one, you see the promise to Joseph, to, to Mary. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's the savior, the Lord is going to save through this person. Just like Joshua in the Old Testament. Joshua was the appointed leader to lead the people actually into the promised land. And now you have Jesus in the New Testament. The Lord saves, appointed by the Father to lead sinful men and women into eternal life. He's gonna lead us. He is the Savior. Second thing he says about him, Jesus is the Messiah. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. Christ is a title. It literally means Messiah or anointed one. And throughout the Old Testament, there are promises of this anointed one coming, a Messiah who would deliver God's people. So there's nothing subtle about Matthew. He says, I have concluded this Jesus, this Savior, he is the Messiah. Here's the statement of my thesis statement of the entire book. I'm gonna tell you where I'm headed before we've even gotten started he's the one i know it i am convinced of it and if you keep reading i'm going to convince you of the same thing here he is jesus the savior the messiah now this morning i am going to sum up for you the entire theological statement of the old testament are you ready listen carefully you ready you got it that is the old testament there, no, you don't do that. I don't know who did it. You can do it. I don't care. From Adam to Abraham to Moses to, to um, who else? I don't know. To Joshua to David to the prophets. What are they all saying? That's all they say. And it drives you nuts, right? Because you want to hear Jesus. Is the whole Old Testament comes and says, and you're waiting for Matthew to say, it's Jesus. The entire Old Testament has prepared the way for the Messiah, and Matthew opens his gospel and says, he's the tada, he's it. He is the da-dum, or however you say that, to the bump-da-da-bum-bum. bump bum 3rd Jesus is the son of David. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. King David, he wants to build his temple. He wants to honor God, this this movable tabernacle. Let's, Let's make something permanent. And God says, no, Solomon will do that. Too much blood on your hands, David. But instead, God said in 2 Samuel 7, I will enter a covenant with you, David, unconditional. 2 Samuel 7 verse 12, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, when you're dead, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Two promises there, a continual seed on the throne. You're going to always have an heir, David. And second, an honored son is actually gonna reign on your throne. Verse 16, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David, you're gonna have, a, your, your kingdom will rule forever. And David dies. And Solomon dies, his son, and what happens? They keep waiting, and they keep waiting and waiting, generation after generation after generation. So to a people who have longed for a king, who have longed for a king in the line of David, a promised Messiah, Matthew is not just listing a bunch of names here in in Matthew 1. He is shouting loud and clear, this is him, the son of David. He's here. It's him. He's come. Fourth, he says, Jesus is the son of Abraham. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Remember him. God said to him in Genesis 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and I will make of you a great nation. That's the promise. I'm going to make from you a covenant people, another unconditional covenant. It doesn't matter what you do. It didn't matter what David did. God was going to fulfill those covenants, those promises. And through Abraham, God provides pr- promises to form a covenant people. I will make of you a great nation. I will form you as a people, a covenant people and I will give you a promised inheritance. I will bless you, and I will give you the land that I will show you. There's your inheritance. It became known as the promised land. You will be a blessing, and in all the families of the earth, and in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. The promise is repeated again in Genesis 15. It's repeated again in Genesis 17. Genesis 17, 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. Did you hear that? Kings are coming. Verse 15 and 16, he says to Sarah, kings of people shall come from her. God's going to send a king through the line of Abraham and his kingdom will expand someday to include the whole earth. You see, Matthew is very clear as he begins his gospel the Messiah that Israel and the world have waited for since the earliest promises of God. He's here, he's arrived. What's the point for our lives? Well, one of the points is, painful point, but we're not the center of history. The United States is not the center of history. Throughout history, billions of people have come and billions have gone. Empires have risen and empires have fallen. Nations and countries have come and gone. And rulers and kings and queens and presidents and dictators have come and gone. But at the center of history stands one man. His name is Jesus the Christ. And all of history either points to him or flows out from him. Because it all centers around him. That's the claim of Matthew one. He's him. He's here. And Matthew is making a bold claim that Jesus is the one around whom everything evolves. He's the king. And he says this, the king is here. And that's our theme for Christmas this season. And if that's true, it has huge implications for every single one of our lives, for everybody in this room, because he can rule and he can reign over our lives. And the reason your life is found on the pages of human history is so that you can come to know and to worship this king and to make his kingdom known among all peoples. That's what Matthew one is all about. That's what Matthew is all about. Our author, Matthew, the Hans Solo of the New Testament. He figured this out and it changed and transformed his life. Will you let it transform your life? Will that truth change you? Because if you're listening carefully, Matthew is tipping his hand as he opens his gospel as to where this one is all going. This is the gospel that's about the king. It's Jesus who changed Matthew. And it's getting to know Jesus that made that radical change in his life because he encountered the king and it changed him. His encounter was at work outside Capernaum at his tax collector stand. Have you ever had an encounter with Jesus like that? Most of us have, but sometimes, you know... We forget about it, and we get lazy and bored with him, and sometimes we misunderstand him. As the story of Matthew unfolds, his own people misread him. His own people misunderstood him. They had him labeled as what? Insignificant rabbi from Nazareth. And the more he proved that he didn't belong in that box, the more they hated him the more they considered him just a nobody. And ultimately they will despise him, which is no wonder at the end (laughs) they wanted to kill him. And yet he is still misunderstood today. But the greatest mistake that you can make is to ignore him as if he doesn't matter. You can postpone a decision, but you do so at your own peril. You can't wait until his return to casually ask him, have you been here before? Because we know the answer to that. He came to earth 2,000 years ago as the promised Messiah, who is the son of David, the son of Abraham, the savior of the world. Don't make the same mistake the Jewish leaders made long ago. Don't put him in your man-made box Don't demand that he meet your expectations because the king is here. He has been revealed as the deliverer, the one who will bring salvation, Jesus, the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament. As you read Matthew, that you ask yourself, will I believe the report? The king is here. So as we celebrate and remember that this year, What's the goal? What do we want to have happen in our lives? My goal, the staff's goal, is we want two things to happen. Number one, that in the midst of this crazy world, we might just enjoy some peace. How? Because think about it. If the king is here, you can relax. You can rest. If he's really here. Grace is often something that we just have to keep rediscovering, right? Because the church can become a place of moralism. But the king is here. Therefore, all is well, no matter what. And while we can never go back to a past we've lost or that we've ruined, we can always go to God. A God who forgives the sins of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. A king who doesn't remember the sins that we can't forget. Therefore, enjoy some peace this Christmas season. Because the king is here. And second, in the midst of this crazy world, we might discover or we might deepen our sense of the fear of the Lord the king is here, whoa, we better learn to bow down in his presence. We need to to learn to bow with humble reverence, that we might experience this year a sense of awe and wonder that would truly lead us to real, genuine worship. This morning as we begin this season, we begin with an important question. A question from Matthew. What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with him? Matthew's very clear. Will you believe? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you this morning. I just just love the Gospel of Matthew. I pray that we could be all passionate about that too. But I pray that as we enter this season of Christmas, you might help us to consider that the king is here. That that would leave us and give us some peace in life, which is so full of turmoil. And that might cause our hearts to bow in humble reverence before this king, because he is here. And if you've never come to the place where you believe that the King is here, today you can do that. If you've never put your faith and your your hope and your trust in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the King, just pray something like this in your hearts. Dear God, I just realized today that you are the Messiah, the King, and you gave your life as a substitute for mine. And I believe today that you will keep your promise, that you will forgive my sin and provide for me eternal life. And I believe that today. And Father, for those who have, of us who've come to know you and our lives in the middle of this transformation, let the process continue that we might, even through Christmas, grow in grace and knowledge in peace and worship because of the Savior. It's in His name we pray. Amen. If God's doing something in your life, you can use the Connect. Let us know of any decisions that you've made. We'd love to know and follow up or just pray for you.